0: Welcome to the Nico Tart audio network. Today, we're going to be going over market valuation and market analysis, how you do it, different ways to do it, the different approaches that are involved and, you know, the whole nine. So, more specifically, we're going to be going over appraisals and the steps generally that each one has and specific situations estimating value the effects of economic principles and property characteristics. We're going to be touching on sales and market comp, those are the approach of how to, you know, value a home and the cost approach and the income analysis approach. And then we're going to go over how you would select comps and how you would adjust those comps if they didn't match the subject property to your liking. And so let's go right into it. Make sure you guys, Leave a nice little review. If you guys enjoy this podcast, like, subscribe, the whole nine, whatever this platform requires. Make sure you do it because I would appreciate it. And I'm here to give you guys a little bit of real estate value. And so hopefully you guys can give me some social media value. Thank you. And first of all, firstly, let's get into the appraisals. So the purpose and use of appraisals for valuation It's to get the house appraised, to know what the price is, Um, and the people who are doing that are certified, and so you you know that that price that they're giving you is going to be extremely, extremely accurate to what the actual value is, and so an appraisal is a formal opinion of value that a real estate appraiser assigns based on supportable evidence for a specific purpose, party, and property as of a specific, bro as of a specific date and in accordance with the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice. Generally, appraisals are not performed or offered by real estate licensees like myself because we're not licensed in that area. And then if you are an agent and you're also an appraiser, that can be a conflict of interest. If you're selling the house that you're appraising, need I say more, you're gonna make. You're gonna have a thought about appraising that house, appraising that house at a higher valuation than it actually should, because then you make more. But that's not what you're supposed to do, because that's illegal and that would be a conflict of interest. So, appraisal practice. Uh. Well, that is basically saying, appraisal practice or USPAP. Generally, appraisals aren't performed by real estate licensees, um, appraisers estimating the value of a building or a piece of land is what an appraiser is sorry. Appraisers estimate the value of a building or a piece of land. They may specialize in neither in, they may specialize in either commercial or residential property. Appraisers typically appraise a property before it's sold mortgage or taxed. Valuation is a formal appraisal and evaluation is a process of forming an opinion of a property's value the real estate and mortgage industries rely on appraisals to ensure that the value of a mortgage property is sufficient to support the loan amount lenders or appraisal management companies generally select and hire appraisers but the buyer generally pays then we have the general steps in the appraisal process and the appraisal process so Like I said, appraisals and appraisers follow the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice, and they use these steps. Those steps would be take the problem. This means to identify the specific property, the rights associated with it and the purpose of the appraisal and what type of value needs to be estimated. Then you need to identify the data needed. That's step two. Step three is to gather and analyze that data. Appraisers will look at general city, neighborhood, demographics, and other data, as well as property-specific data. Then determine the highest and best use is the fourth step. What would that property best be used for if there were no existing buildings on it? And this matters more for commercial properties, though residential properties in a mixed-use neighborhood can be impacted by this as well. Estimate of the land value as if the land were vacant. Use one or more of the property, uh, excuse me, use one or more of the three approaches to valuation. So that would be the sales comparison, the cost approach, or the income approach. And it's depending on the property type usually. And the seventh step is to reconcile values to determine if the final appraised value is correct. So once again, final step, reconcile values to determine the final appraised value. It's not an average of the various estimates calculated through a reconciliation or correlation process. The most weight may be given to one or two of the comparable properties, or even to the appraisal method used and how well it matches the subject property. So quick little example, In a market data approach, the appraiser may use three comparable properties. One suggests a value of 276, another of 301, and the third of 310. The appraiser will weigh the one which is most like the subject property more heavily than the other comparables when estimating the value. And then the eighth and final step is to deliver the appraisal report after you develop it. And so that is the steps of the appraisal process. There's eight of them, and like I said, they follow the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice, or USPAP. Next, we have situations requiring an appraisal by a certified appraiser. So, guy, have around, you know, I got a couple bullet points here. This one is a bit, I don't wanna say all over the place, but these bullet points are, you know, certain situations and certain scenarios that could require a certified appraiser. So the Financial Institution Reform, Recovery, and Enforcement Act of 1989 requires that appraisals performed in conjunction with federally federally related transactions must be completed by the state certified or licensed appraisers. Federally Federally related transactions are not FHA insured or VA guaranteed and will not be sold to a GSE such as Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Residential properties valued at $400,000 or less are exempt from federal appraisal requirements. I'll repeat that one again. Residential properties valued at $400,000 or less are exempt from federal appraisal requirements. Purchases financed with a loan insured by the Federal Housing Administration must be appraised by a state licensed appraiser who is approved by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Purchases financed with a loan guarantee by the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs must be appraised by a VA certified certified state licensed appraiser. Key mortgage industry players, including Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the Federal Housing Agency implemented the appraiser independence requirements act in 2010 known as air airs intent is to ensure that appraisals reflect an accurate unbiased property value by requiring that appraisers be qualified to appraise a subject property bam well would you look at that they're trying to make sure that your appraisals are accurate you know so and let me just say one of the reasons why you want an accurate appraisal is because so well I know a pretty obvious one say you have a house that's worth that's actually worth 75,000 but you get an appraisal for 100,000 well now you're you're paying um that's that you're going that's going to be your loan amount you know given on what side you are on and so you want an accurate appraisal because it could cost you money in the long run. If you are the buyer, if your house gets, you know, appraised at, a t- at too high of a value and it's not worth that much, you're going to be paying a mortgage that's essentially not correct if it's not appraised right. And so moving on, air also prohibits lenders from attempting to influence or coerce an appraiser with respect to the opinion of value. Lenders who want to sell their conventional mortgage loans to Fannie Mae must comply with Air, and Air permits lenders to select residential appraisers from an approved list or panel. If the lender employees involved, if the lender employee or employees is involved in the selection and have no involvement in loan approval. I'm gonna read that one again because that one kind of threw me for a loop. Air permits lenders to select residential appraisers from an approved list or panel if the lender employee involved in the selection have no involvement in loan approval to ensure to help ensure they are in compliance with air standards some lenders contract with third party companies to manage appraisals and now we have estimating the value so we have about four bullet points here There are definitions, and we're going to quickly go over these because there's pretty much a straightforward way to look at these. And so market value is the most probable price a property will sell for in an open market if neither the buyer nor the seller is under duress. Value is a property's objective worth and may not equal price or cost. Cost is the amount to recreate that property if it disappeared off the face of the earth today. And the market price is the amount a buyer paid for a property and the seller accepted. And so I can break those down really quickly. The market price, starting with the last one, is, you know, say you had a house listed at 390000 but you are a buyer's agent. You know, example, I'm a buyer's agent and that buyer only wants to offer a price of two of three fifty and that offer gets accepted, then that is the market price for that house because that house sold on the market for that price. And then we have the cost, which is the amount to recreate that property if it disappeared off the face of the earth. And so the way I think about this is, you know, a house can be created in nineteen eighty six and cost whatever, like, you know, $50,000. But nowadays that same house is probably going to cost $120,000 to create. And so the cost, even in the same area can differ when it comes to the same house. And so that's going to depend on the time frame a lot of the times or the, you know, position of the market as far as materials and things like that. And so Next, we have the value, and that is the property's objective worth and may not be equal to the price. And so that is something that the appraiser is usually, like I just explained a minute ago, going to determine. And it's objective, and it may not equal the price or the cost. Because everything that is being taken into account is like literally being accounted for in the sense of you know they're not just saying oh this house is surrounded by these houses that are worth this much and so it's most likely worth around this much no they're going to be taking the value of the property the value of the of of the uh, of the house itself the rooms the bathrooms things like that taking those all into account combining them and giving you a proper uh worth And then market value is the most probable price a property will sell for an open market if the buyer or seller is under duress. And so it's pretty self-explanatory given the fact or given the situation where no one is being coerced or pressured to sell the property, then that property, whatever it sells at, that is the market value. And so that's estimating value, all four bullet points. Now we got the effect of economic principles and property characteristics. There's quite a bit here and so we're gonna not go over it slowly or skim through it. We're gonna make sure we get things figured out here. okay. So the types of value that appraisers may be asked to estimate include market value, insurance value, and replacement value. Excuse me. Generally in real estate, the appraiser asked to estimate the market value which is the most probable price a property will sell for in an open market if neither the buyer nor the seller is under duress. The principle of highest and best use refers to a property's legal and feasible use that would be most profitable. And four characteristics of value include demand, utility, scarcity, and transferability. A good way to remember this is with the acronym DUST, D-U-S-T, and demand is how popular or desirable a property is. Utility is the property's function. Scarcity relates to the market supply, uh, you know, how many houses are on the market right now, and transferability refers to the ease with which one person can purchase a property, A property with a title defect may suffer a loss of value because of the difficulty of being able to transfer the title to another person. Other types of value would include value in use, assessed value, mortgage value, insured value, and investment value. So, breaking those down very quickly, a value in use is what a property is worth to the person using it. Assessed value is what the local taxing authority thinks the property is worth. Mortgage value is a price at which the property can be loaned on or sold for at foreclosure sale. Insured value is the cost to replace or rebuild the property. And investment value is the return on investment a property may provide. The value of a property is affected by certain economic principles of value. And those would be the conformity, competition, and substitution. These are all principles that I'll be explaining now. So conformity is a property's value and it's determined in part by how well it conforms to its surrounding area and that's basically saying how similar it is to the other properties in the area the principle of competition is a property's value is where a property's value is determined in part based on what else is available and the principle of substitution is a reasonable person will not pay more for a property if a comparable one can be had for less. So, you know, I'm not going to buy this house because I can substitute my want for this house with the other house that costs less. So the principle of contribution is next. And that is the value of any given change to the property is dependent on the value of the property as a whole. Because of this, the same improvement to different houses may result in an increase in value in one while the other sees no applicable changes. The principle of plottage is an increase in value that occurs by combining adjacent parcels of land into a single parcel. The principle of assemblage is the process of combining parcels and the principle of regression is a decline in value due to the decline in value of neighboring properties. The principle of progression is the increase in property value from increased surrounding property values. That's the opposite of regression. And then the principle of anticipation is the changes in value may be caused based on the expectation of events. A suburban residential property that is located near the site of a proposed public transportation facility May see an increase in value before the actual benefit is realized because, well, hey, we know it's coming, so it's going to make the house worth more. And they're already like, it's in contract, it's coming, so why wouldn't the house be worth worth more now and maybe even more when it's built? But the fact that it's getting built there is sufficient enough in itself to say, yeah, that's going to help the value of our home. Market cycles and other factors affecting property value. So reduced consumer confidence may make new buyers wary of purchasing and homeowners hesitant to trade up. Higher unemployment reduces the number of buyers, putting downward pressure on housing prices. Higher taxes decrease buying power, and that lowers and lower taxes increase buying power. Higher interest rate. Reduce buyer affordability while lower interest rates increase buyer affordability. Supply and demand significantly affect property value. More demand than supply means buyers are competing for the same properties, driving up prices, and less demand or fewer buyers puts downward pressure on housing prices. Mm. Excuse me. So then we got the sales or market comparison approach. So the sales comparison, the sales comparison appraisal approach is based on the principle of substitution and uses the prices for which similar properties have sold to estimate the subject property's market value. The similar properties are referred to as comps or comparables. The property being appraised is called the subject property. This approach is most commonly used when appraising single-family homes, and since comparable properties are never exactly the same as the subject property, comparable properties must be selected and compared both quantitatively, quanti- qualitatively, and quantitatively. So I wanted to let you know there is um, pulled pork in the fridge, and there's also bologna pickle spread. Oh okay. So. And there's the little slider rolls in there. Dig in. There's chips up front. There's oh, okay. soda. Great. Eat lunch. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. That was my front desk lady. My admin. Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. So, uh, continuing... Appraisers make adjustments to the comparable property sales prices in order to make the appraised value reflect the differences in features like the location, condition, and even the timing of the sale. So if the subject property has 2,400 square feet of living space and the comp has 2,600 square feet, the appraiser will subtract from the comparable property sales price to reflect the value of the 200 foot difference. Appraisers look for the most recent sales of the most similar house possible. The fewer adjustments that need to be made, the less subjective the appraiser needs to be with respect to the value, not the cost, of those differences. Bracketing. So we got a definition here. Bracketing is a process in which an appraiser uses both superior and inferior units of comparison, such as age, transaction, price, etc., to determine a probable range of values for a property. There are two categories of elements. or I'm sorry. There are two categories of comparison elements elements which look at physical and locational characteristics and units which look at the numbers. Appraisers will make adjustments for a number of factors applying the elements of comparison in this specific order, including financing terms and cash equivalency conditions of sale. Market conditions at the time of contract and closing, location, and physical characteristics. Next, we got the cost approach. So, the cost approach is based on the concept that the entire property is worth the sum of the value of the land and the value of the improvements on that land. Uh, I'll repeat that one. The cost approach is based on the concept that the entire property Sorry. The entire property is based. The, the the entire property is worth the sum of the value of the land and the value of the improvements on that land. Appraisers <laughs> use and rely on this approach when the property is unique and not being used to generate rental income, a movie theater, hospital, church or school fall in this category usually. It's also used in newly constructed or highly valued homes. The value of land as though it were vacant with no improvements on it, plus the depreciated cost of recreating the existing improvements equals the market value. The cost of recreating the existing structure slash improvement is adjusted based on depreciation since the structure being sold is not brand new Depreciation as it relates to appraisals is unrelated to the tax depreciation. There are causes of depreciation. Excuse me, there are three causes of depreciation external depreciation, functional obsolescence, and physical deterioration. Uh, I can break those down real quick. So, external depreciation, also known as economic obsolescence, is caused by factors outside of the property, like an airport or a big noise or a power plant that's near the property. Functional obsolescence is a form of depreciation or loss in value caused by defects in design and can occur with outdated structures or systems or property or when a property is overbuilt for the area. So, you know, if you have something on your house that doesn't work and it's supposed to, that is functional obsolescence. And that will, unfortunately, but rightfully so, lower the value of your property. But when you get it fixed, it will also increase the value. And so next and lastly is, well, not lastly, sorry. But next is physical deterioration. And that occurs with wear and tear, damage, and improper maintenance. Curable depreciation refers to an item of physical deterioration or functional obsolescence where the cost to cure the item is less than or the same as the anticipated increase in property value after the item is cured. Incurable depreciation includes items not practical to correct. The replacement cost approach bases value on the cost to build a functionally equivalent property and the reproduction cost approach determines the cost to build an exact replica of the property with the same materials and deficiencies. The cost approach assumes the land is vacant and bases the opinion of value on highest and best use. Next, we got the income approach. This approach bases the current property value on potential income that the property can generate for residential income rental properties or for residential investment rental properties such as single-family homes or residential buildings that comprise of 2 to 4 family units. This is most this is the most reliable approach to value when the property is being appraised. Is This is the most reliable approach to value when the property is being appraised. It's primarily used to generate rental income, uh, which includes shopping centers, apartments, and office buildings. Investments Investment value can tell an investor the expected rate of return for a property. And there are three different methods for estimating value Within the income approach. So there's the gross rent multiplier, the gross income multiplier, and the capitalization method. The gross rent multiplier or the grm is used for the appraised value or is used for the appraised value of four units or fewer. And the formula for that is the sales price divided by the gross monthly rent equals the gross rent multiplier and then the gross monthly rent times the gross rent multiplier equals the value. Then there's a gross income multiplier. The GIM is used for the appraised value of five or more units, and it's usually considered for commercial properties. The GIM, you get that by doing the sales price divided by the gross annual income, and you get the value by doing the gross annual income times the gross income multiplier. Lastly, there's the capitalization rate, or the cap rate, and that is an annual rate of return from an income-producing property used by appraisers to determine the value of rent-generating properties used by investors to compare one investment to another. You determine the cap rate by dividing the net operating income by value or sales price so income divided by value equals the cap rate a couple more pages here we have the capitalization is always based on net annual operating income numbers annual is not likely to be stated in the exam question because like I said before these notes were what I used to gain my real estate license and so that's how you know that this information is Chef kiss, but, uh, determine the net operating income. You begin with potential gross income asking if every unit were rented for a full year, what could the owner expect to collect in rent? And then you would subtract the probable loss as a result of predictive vacancy from potential gross income to estimate, ex- to estimate effective gross income, subtract operating expenses from the effective gross income to arrive at the net operating income. So that's gonna sum up the income analysis income analysis approach these are like I said used in a lot of rental situations where there's multiple units or commercial situations where there are a lot a lot of units like a mall factory that is housing multiple people or you understand the point where I'm coming from so the income analysis approach like I said, Used to determine how much money that property can generate for said person. Throw on some Carmax. My lips are kind of chapped. This is the second podcast I've done today. So we got the competitive market analysis, or the CMA. You know, something that I do a lot of as an agent. The real estate licensees perform comparative market analysis to help clients make price decisions. They help sell sell their clients, decide how to price a property, and buyer clients decide how much they're willing to pay. CMAs are not appraisals. Instead, they are an informal estimate of the market value. It's informal because we are only using houses that have either sold within the past six months to a year, or that are listed currently, and it's not a hundred percent accurate. But we always try to go with the house that's obviously closest to that subject property. You know, try to get down to the closest amount of uh, uh, bathrooms and bedrooms and square footage as possible, giving us an accurate number. And with that, we are also using houses in that area, and so that's also giving us another advantage as far as you know getting the right price and so when it comes to selecting comparables a comparable property is one that's quite similar to the subject property in terms of size style condition number of rooms and location in general properties sold as foreclosures short sales or other distressed property sales should not be used as comps unless the licensee is pricing a property for sale under similar conditions Properties used as comps should also be arm's length transactions, which means that the parties to the sale are unrelated and that no one is under duress or pressure to complete the sale. And an example of a non arms length transaction is a parent selling to their child. If possible, from one comparable sale, if possible, from the comparable sale information located, licensees should take into account any seller concessions or creative, or special financing considerations. Dude, I'm not posting on TikTok right now. Stop it. Um, (laughs) Properties used as comps. Oh, just read that one. Uh, Recent sales carry more weight as comparables than older sales, especially when the market is changing. Licensees should use more recent sold comps A couple of months time can make a big difference in pricing if the market is heating up or cooling down. To get an idea of current competition, licensees may also review comparables that are currently on the market. These are called active listings. Reviewing properties that listed but did not sell are called expired listings, and these can give licensees an idea of how pricing impacted the listing. Information about under contract or pending Properties may provide insights about the number of days on the market compared to the price as well as general market conditions. These properties aren't true comparables because the final sales price is not known yet. So these properties being expired listings, pending listings, or uh, active listings. So licensees should use at least three comparables more may be necessary if good comparables are not easy to find now we're going to talk about adjusting comparables in order to arrive at a value or range of values licensees must adjust prices for differences in property attributes between the subject property and the selected comps licensees adjust the comparable sales price not the subject property's list price or potential list price. The comparable sales price is a known factor and the goal is to determine a price or price range for the subject based on what the comparable would have sold for with the same characteristics as the subject property. I'll read that one again. Licensees adjust the comparable sales price, not the subject property's list price or potential list price. The comparable sales price is a known factor, and the goal is to determine a price or price range for the subject based on what the comparable would have sold for with the same characteristics as the subject property. If a comparable is inferior to the subject property, adjust upward. If it's superior, adjust downward. Adjustments may be made for location, property attributes, and market conditions. So... Couple of, couple of examples here. Uh, a subject property, subject and comparable property attributes are nearly identical, except the subject has a two-car garage, and the comparable has a three-car garage, in the given area, and additional garage bay is worth probably around seven thousand dollars. The comparable is sold for twenty-eight. Is the comparable is sold for three hundred twenty-eight thousand five hundred. The goal is to determine what the comp would have sold for if it were identical to the subject. So subtract 7,000 from the comparable sales price, making the value of the property 321, five. So that's gonna do it for you know market valuation and analysis. Hopefully you guys got some value there as far as a buyer or seller on how an agent goes about or an appraiser goes about getting the value value of your home. And then if you're an agent, you know, you very well should know the process of the appraisal. You should know the approaches on which how you determine a property's value and then the reasons that a property may have a higher or lower value compared to the future or present and then the approaches in which the income is figured out when it comes to rent renting out, um, you know, renting out units and buildings that are commercially leased and whatnot. And so that's going to do it for this podcast on the Danico Tart Audio Network. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, leave a nice little review if you guys got some value from this episode. You know, I, I'd appreciate it. We are currently in the office still. You know, it's a nice day out here in Michigan. Currently got the First close as a real estate agent set for tomorrow, January 12th, so I'll just clap for myself real quick. Um, Yeah, I'd like to thank, obviously, my team here at Century 21 for helping me this entire way, and then Lena Hunter, who I had on another podcast, if you guys want to go listen to that one, she is a great agent, in the Flint Grand Blanc area, who... Has been my mentor since the get-go, ever since I got my license. And, yeah, I appreciate her a lot. Don't know where I'll be without her. And that goes for my whole team here at Century 21. They've been very helpful, very, very helpful when it comes to getting this whole thing done, taken care of, and making it a very smooth process. And, yeah, for a first transaction, honestly, it was, I'm not going to say it was too smooth, but there was very, oh, hey. Okay. Oh, I just, I just saw Lena out there. Uh, I won't say it's too smooth, but it was very, very smooth in the sense of that. You know, we just basically sending papers back and forth. Didn't have any fixes that, fixes that need to be made in the property. Didn't have any, um, th- there wasn't very much that needed to be done besides getting the paperwork filed that needed to be filed. And so that's basically the best you can ask for when it comes to your first closing first sale as an agent. Um, I say it isn't completely ideal because, you know, if I had a harder time getting this done, then the next sale would be easier. But in my eyes, maybe that it's only going to get harder from here. Well, it should get easier, but the sales in the sense of like what needs to be done will probably only be harder because I just don't see anything going as smooth as this. You know, I pretty much had a perfect buyer for my first client and so I'm grateful for that you know I got through the process with the team and we everything was taken care of and you know done the way it should have been done and handled professionally and so I'm, I'm happy about it at the end of the day I am happy that things are done and I'm happy that you know we made it to the closing we we're supposed to close at the end of January but because things move so smoothly and so quickly and because time is of the essence, we're able to close on the 12th, you know, two weeks ahead of schedule. And so that's basically where we are now. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Leave a review if you enjoy. And I'll see you guys in the next piece of material here on the Danico Tart Audio Network.